Hello and welcome to a very very special edition of the Voido podcast. Today we have with us two guests who are very inspiring personalities and we've been looking forward to having them on the podcast for quite some time. First we have Famida Kasim Surti who is the group CEO of the DSTV Media Sales Group in South Africa. Over the last 30 years Famida has seen everything in broadcasting, media and advertising. Through her journey from a sports journalist leading up to the group CEO of the DSTV Media Sales Group. We also have with us Rani Bisan who drives all their technology as the executive head of business optimization. We're very excited to speak to both of them about their respective journeys, what they've seen in our industry and a peek into the future of technology, media as well as the African market. Welcome Famida and Rani. How are you both this morning? Very good Anand. Very excited to be a part of your podcast today. Yeah, we're very excited to have both of you. We've always had people with interesting perspectives, interesting journeys to talk about our industry from your vantage point and it's been a while that we wanted to have both of you on the podcast. So Absolutely. we are very very excited. Thanks Anand. Um Famida, my first question is for you. Um you've had the privilege of seeing this industry through different lenses as a journalist, as an executive and now as the CEO of of a large organization like DMS um can you walk us through what that journey has been and some key shifts that you've seen define the industry over the last 3 decades i'd like to ask anand at this point how much time do you actually have <laughs> <laughs> look it's been an interesting journey um i do think that uh, you know having a fundamental basis of journalism does help you in business simply because you learn the art of effective storytelling which is something quite necessary in business uh you learn the art of effective communication which is also um something that puts you in in good state to lead a business and i think you know those two sort of major skill sets that you need for journalism and also networking uh understanding you know it's about finding the right story uh finding the profile of the right person getting a right uh, comment etc chasing down a story you know so there's this urgency or deadlines so i would say that the transition from journalism to business is actually easy um it's just about whether you want to do it or not so people stay in the journalism game because it's something that they love they want to be a communicator across various media types etc um i loved it during my time of journalism but i think i do like the business part simply because uh I've had very good grounding on that spectrum of 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 media yeah. as you say. Um Rani I had a follow up question for you. Sure. Um I so I sometimes keep thinking about the fact that we as a generation have probably seen the largest shift in technology when compared to any previous generation and what it's done for our lives what it's done to put technology in the power in in our hands. Um along your journey how have you tackled the changing role that technology has played? in our industry and the gigantic impact that it has on employees and colleagues as well as consumers how have you seen that shift sure again as pamida said how much time we have <laughs> <laughs> because it's it is something good part is anand we live um in this era where things are changing overnight because there was a point when we say nothing changes overnight you can wait for 3 days 2 days um and the only urgency that we had in any of the industries it used to be medical because yes if you are delayed by 2 seconds a person can die um military industries or army industries where people would definitely wait if if you don't shoot now the other party or the enemy will shoot us down right so those are all the high emergency and i would say 
maybe dynamic, uh, that you have to be always on top of your tech to ensure that we support those kind of industries. But today, even media, if uh, there is a millisecond of delay in getting <laughs> the news to the to the audiences, they are like they go crazy. For them, it's like it's equal to saving a life, right? So while we're living in that era, it's it's there's a there's a I would say there's a very um, critical act of balance that we have to do between our consumers. When I say consumers who are the end users, then also the brands which connect the consumers and the tech and the tech that we carry as publishers. So there are a lot of, uh, I would say, handholding has to happen between a lot of players in this ecosystem, the publisher, the tech uh, provider the consumer, end consumer, the client uh, in terms of the brand who sits in between all of those, right? So um, making or keeping or staying relevant and relatable is something I, I completely believe. And um, in DMS, we have been doing that from the, I would say, from the day zero, from, from the word go. Uh, as an instance, I can give an example of, let's say, talk about shoppable TV. It is a piece of tech. But it enables the brands and the products to be readily available to the consumer. So consumer can scan while entertaining themselves, while watching a content. Because if you see now, this has changed. Earlier, we used to switch off the TV, go out, have, let's say, 30 minutes of our time in a day for grocery, go out, meet people. Okay, that has definitely a, a much more, and personally, I think that is much more valuable than having sitting in front of your television and then scanning a code and saying, I've done uh, with my shopping. I would love to go and meet Anand and Famida in the marketplace and say, hey, yeah. let's uh, go for a cup of coffee or a tea and then buy some vegetables together, come back home, cook. So that alignment of, and this is a change and shift of technology that has changed our behavior as in consumers. I never wanted to sit in front of TV and uh, buy, but if tech and the brands and the, and the publishers like, for example, multi-choice as the publisher, DMS as the airtime provider, um, the brands as the, let's say, the Unilevers, and consumers as the audiences of this, this particular. If we all are aligned to um, go and have a piece of that pie together, then why not? So what we do is we ensure our people are extremely relatable and, of course, relevant to the new tech, new edge. Yeah. In some sense, I think it's giving us so much power, but it's also giving us the power to be lazier. So we don't have to move. <laughs> at all. We, but that's why we need now smartwatches to track our steps, <laughs> to make sure that we are acting like humans. Yeah. Uh, breathe. So it's sleep. almost, yeah, breathe, sleep, take, a, you know, if you think about what tech has done to people's personal spaces, yeah. Um, it's almost like going back to the old days, but getting somebody to govern yeah. how you should be doing. Things. Yeah, I find my watch is getting snuffier exactly. these days because if I don't exercise for three days, it's like, mm, <laughs> maybe you could at least stand up. <laughs> that bad. Um, all right. So I want to switch gears now and talk about the evolution of the industry. Um, consumers now are not in one place anymore, but it's not like, we like an experience over the other. We like being on the go. We like sitting in one place. We like all of our devices and we enjoy content like never before. There's a flood of content out there, but we are sitting with an almost bottomless appetite to consume all of it. So Famida, my question to you is, how have you been able to succeed time and again as a leader in a business that is evolving so rapidly and with consumers whose behavior is changing every minute? How have you been able to replicate your success as a leader? 
Yeah, I would say that uh, kind of constant learning, keeping up to date with what's going on uh, in the market, what's going on with consumers. So making sure that you have the right insights to build the products that are there for our end users. Um, I would also say, you know, what has contributed to the success of my success as a, as a leader, I would say is that I always surround myself with really good people. I find that uh, I enjoy people with diverse uh, thinking. I, I don't want everyone to, to be in a group think setup. I don't want everyone to think like me. Um, I advise them also to say, challenge me if you think that this is the wrong decision or the right decision. So I would say that uh, what contributes to that success is that you you create an organization where you've got diverse thinking. You've got what we call cognitive diversity these days. Uh, you've also got uh, um, accessible leadership styles. So people never, ever feel afraid to to have an opinion, to to challenge what is on the table because you know that you are not going to be um, put into a difficult situation after that. So I do think that taking away, bringing in a lot of emotional safety for your team and making sure that you have this balance of being able to challenge something, not only to challenge it for the sake of challenging, but challenging it with proposing an alternate solution is, is what I would say is that what I encourage. Uh, the industry will continuously transform. We've seen what's uh, gone on in terms of media types. It's also happening in our industry. We've seen the uh, the transformation of uh, digital formats taking over. We've seen uh, the role traditional television plays, and we've also seen the role that new TV can actually um, can actually play. So I would say, I mean, as per what I said earlier, it's just like continuous learning. Like, don't be afraid to learn. Yeah, I, I have a. I have a special love for learning. In fact, one of my mentors always says, we're three months away from learning what we need to learn and we're three months away from being obsolete if we stop learning. Mm -hmm. So somehow making it fun, making it a habit is something that I really love and thank you for that. Um, Rani, while this evolves on the consumer end and the business keeps transforming based on where consumers are going, what is your framework for ensuring that the right technologies can future-proof your business internally as well, so you can keep pace with consumers. Okay. Um, right, the framework, because yeah. that's important. I like this question, because it's not about the actual technology, it's about the framework. Look, Do you I think your engineering side is coming out, <laughs> Ronnie? <laughs> <laughs> I know yesterday she was a gold medalist yeah. in engineering. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. So I think communication and awareness um, to the market about the market is extremely important uh, to the market, like to our clients, to our brands, to our products, and about the market within our organization to, other to the employees. Because uh, again, I'll repeat myself a bit here in terms of if you're not relevant, if you're not relatable, you're losing the, the, the plot completely. I like the um, the initiative. It's it's a very old initiative called crowdsourcing, which happened or started in 18th century, but then I think 15 years back, we all have seen how crowdsourcing has become such a, had become such a big thing. And people, you co-innovate with consumers because who best will tell us, um, I mean, who better than the, the end consumer of your product tells you what is good or what is bad, right? So crowd, crowdsourcing with your consumers, with your brands, um, keeping your technology as the engine and data as the fuel. I think if that works as a, as a great 
framework to ensure that everything is uh, piped in, everything is uh, immediate, everything is um, to the point and uh, real. You don't have to always refer to a framework. You can always keep creating your framework if you're well, the data, the, the engine, the tech, um, the consumers and the brands are always. Yeah, yeah. I noticed even at the tech day on, on Monday that even employees are so aware of the kind of technology. I was watching Nico on stage and I looked at the range of questions he got asked, ranging from how are we doing as a product, how are we doing as a company mm -hmm. to, hey, why am I still using this badge to get into the building, <laughs> right? We want technology to improve every aspect of our life as consumers as well as, 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 as employees. Um, all right, Famida, I want to switch to my favorite topic, which I know is very close to your heart, which is life sport. Um, throughout your journey, I know that sports has been so close to your heart and to your journey. Um, across the globe now, we're seeing a lot of money being spent on sports rights by broadcasters, by technology companies. It's almost as if it's hard to differentiate now between who's a tech company and who's a, who's a media company anymore. But we're also seeing the quantum of money being spent go higher and higher and higher, almost to a point where it may not even make sense from a financial perspective. What is it about sport that has the power to command that much value and be so integral to a broadcaster's portfolio to a point where everyone's fighting over it and paying so much money? I love this question and it comes at the appropriate time. As you know, we just recently won the Rugby World Cup yes. in South Africa. And if you were in South Africa during the, the days after and to witness the victory celebrations, the unity amongst people, you would be able to capture the emotion that people actually feel about a national team. So I do think sport has that unifying thing that, uh, you know, other things don't, you know. So it, it does get people to bandy together. It does get people excited. It does tap into emotion like nothing else. So, and that's also the reason why I love it, you know, personally as a consumer. I mean, there is nothing better for me than watching something uh, as superior as um, a live uh, sporting event. And whether that be cricket, whether that be um, football, or whether that be rugby, you know, etc. Um, it does definitely incite emotion. On the business part of it, I do think that uh, I always wonder when will that sports bubble actually burst? Simply because, as you mentioned, Anand, um, it is becoming where the economics of sport seem to be, you know, far outweighing uh, everything else in, in business, etc. We, we see what footballers are being paid or, or cricketers are being paid or we see uh, what sponsors or brands that want to be associated to, 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 to events or particular sporting codes have to invest, you know. So we see that from our marketplace as well. We also see it on our broadcast platform, etc. And I think that the, this thing about brands being involved in sport, they really do it in order to drive engagement because they know that when you are appealing to a consumer at that particular emotional moment, your brand is likely to be heard. You know, so I think that that is important to, uh, to, to, a, to a marketer. Um, so I think long may it continue is, is what I would say. Uh, the, on the sports rights stuff, if you look at broadcasters around the world, it is incredibly important and the prices are going up. But I think broadcasters will have to make decisions based on how many subscribers they're going to attract or how much of ad revenue they're going to attract in order uh, to be able to make the economics of the business model work 
And they'll only be able to do it to a certain point because they can't just break the bank as well. They've got to do it to a certain point. They've got to be able to deliver. But I think they would like to have it, right? So the the end all of it is that businesses see sport as as something that leads to success. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think the emotional cord that it can strike, it has a power to do something that nothing else can. Um, We are approaching the end of the Cricket World Cup now. And I'm constantly seeing people cancel plans, move move their schedule around because you want to be somewhere to watch the game. You want to watch it with friends. You want to make a social experience around it. I don't think any other form of content has that much emotional power. Yeah, that's true. It can make people cry. It can make people celebrate. It can make me, it can make me go on a shopping spree. The kind of value that it can deliver. Exactly. Um, all right. I have a fun question for both of you now connected to sport. Um, the intersection of technology and sport has always been um, a bit of a journey. A lot of purists have struggled with it. A lot of new age folks with you know movies like Moneyball have tried to sort of invest more in technology and data and sport. Um, VAR and football, for example, or even tennis, where at the US Open this year, I noticed that there were no linesmen. Hawkeye has just completely replaced linesmen. Do you think that this kind of use of technology in sport is good for the sport and will it translate to other sports? I think it depends on the sport. I would say in football, uh, I find it frustrating that VAR for me slows down the sport. Uh, I also think that uh, VAR, uh, you know, even is supposed to be an objective way of giving a decision. I feel that sometimes it has to go back to a human in order to make the overall decision. So you would see whenever a footballer appeals to something or if, is the guy offside, uh, was it a handball? Was it, uh, you know, something in particular? Eventually, they have to go to a human if the, if the machine can't sort it out. So I think that uh, a fine balance between the two is probably the ultimate way going forward. Um, I, I do see the value of, of, um, of integrating technology into sport. And we can see that also from a data analytics point of view. I mean, a few years ago, remember that Leicester City had won the English Premier League. And they actually showed and shared that story as being uh, the, the reason that they won is the use of data and analytics. So, so data analytics technology has a massive role to play in sport, but I would hate to see sport being slowed down because of that. And Rani, what do you think about this? I, I, I completely agree with uh, Famida without copying exactly what we yes. said. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, in the world of cricket, we have seen, like, I think before even we talk about that, I think it's we as uh, the consumers of these kind of uh, sports or contents. Our um, our need for instant gratification has grown so high that even as as going back to my first uh, response to your question was I can't wait for that millisecond to to move to the next ball. That's yes. who's going to bat, who's going to ball. But then at the same time, a, a fine balance between both is extremely important. Look at the third empires and also the empire. Mm. It can be a quick out, it can be a quick catch, it can be a quick six, it can be a quick four. But there are so many blind spots which we used to miss out earlier. Yeah. But now tech has resolved that part. Yeah. So um, definitely it has to be um, a, a striking balance between both. Uh, it should not be replaced. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It should yeah. not be replaced. No, no, I'm with you. I think nothing can cause frustration in sport like either a referee gone wrong or the technology <laughs> gone wrong. Which I think, <laughs> exactly. which I think is, is way worse. Um, all right. To round things off, I want to take a peek into the future. Um, now we'll start with you, Rani. Sure. Like Nico said on Monday, we have a lot of shiny tech in our hands right now. Um, where do we go from here? Because 
if an organization has to set themselves up for the next 10 15 20 years we don't even know what kind of technologies are going to sort of be on our horizon it's it's hard to imagine that the whole chat gpt revolution is not even a year old right now and it's made so much progress so how do you future proof a business when you don't know what kind of technologies are around the corner so um the good part is we go through this i mean we are going through this uh, kind of a scenario in our company uh dms is uh, 30 years old 26 uh, 27 years 27 old 27 yeah. years old so in may or march march next year we are going to celebrate our 26 years um and which really shows that there are a lot of uh, i would say technologies or products or processes that we use which are legacy but still useful right which means that we and the technology after 26 years new tech has come but still there are some pieces of uh, as i said the product and the tech we are still le- leveraging from those uh, 26 year old uh, company i think without uh, again harping upon the fact that data is going to be or is forever data is going to be the key the foundation no more pillar data should not be the pillar the data should be the foundation on which the other pillars have to be uh, raised off right um people i would see if i have to just talk about two aspects or one aspect one is foundation has to be uh, data and the pillar one pillar that will hold this entire world or the entire organization together for a future proof kind of a scenario are our people if we train our people instead of training them on a specific technology of course the need of the r is there and the access to learning and upskilling has become and that is the best part of technology which i see that has impact on education earlier we have we have to wait for uh, years and years to travel to a different country and then educate ourselves if i have to specifically go to a particular university but today is just a cl- click of a button you pay your fee and then you are speaking to the the professor that you always dreamed about so i think the impact of tech has been huge on tech education learning development so i think we must leverage that part of tech where we can constantly keep our and continuously keep our employees our people trained upskill not only on the existing or the uh, the near to future technology but skills like which are transformation in 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 nature uh, agile thinking system thinking critical thinking um, communications effective communication time management because if you and this is from a people perspective if these um, i would say if your dna has these kind of skills in you any new tech comes yeah. it will not impact the organization at all now very very well said rani thank you so much thank you uh, and famida my last question to you is what is the future hold for our industry content broadcasting media advertising and specifically what is the future hold for the african market yeah i think it's uh, it's an exciting future if you're willing to embrace it um particularly for africa i think there are varying degrees of because uh, we can't look at africa as a whole we got to look at it on a country specific basis some some countries have leapfrogged into connectivity faster than others if we look at a territory like kenya as an example we see there where internet penetration um is uh, at very high levels you see different formats of media arising and you see them leapfrogging a lot of technologies that you know perhaps european countries um have adopted and it taken more years to adopt so i would say that uh, you know digital transformation is bound to happen you know across the african continent but at varying degrees and at varying levels for various countries i think streaming will be an absolute reality so if we look at what's happening in the over the top space 
this is something that's uh, just going to become bigger and explode uh, uh, even further. I think there'll definitely be um, more opportunity for content creators across the market because uh, what we what we have seen, and I, I'm, I, I suppose you would see the exact same thing in a in a country like India, where people want to be uh, they want customized or personalized content according to language or cultural sensitivity or any of that. It's the same as what we would have that view. So I would say there will be an explosion of content. Um, I, I also think that, uh, um, you know, with all these sort of changes happening around consumer behavior, et cetera, and the launch of new technologies, streaming services, Africa still is at a huge opportunity stage for a lot of players in the market, whether you're a supplier of technology or whether you're a platform trying to build out or whether you are in the creation of, of, of content space. So, yeah, it's the... Um, it's, it's an exciting, it's an exciting continent, continent to, to be a part of. Yeah, I could not agree more. Uh, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We and everyone at my company, we find both you and Rani to be very inspiring and we are so honored to be working with you and your organization. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yeah, thank you, Anand. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you for being a good partner to our business too. Thank you so much. Thank Bye-bye. you, Anand. Thanks for listening to this episode. We look forward to seeing you on our next episode and please make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our newsletter on Substack. Links to everything we discuss can be found in the episode description in our newsletter. See you next time.